Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your time to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, three, two, one, let's go. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Julie and Corey. What's up, guys? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah. So um, I've been on your your guys' show uh, a couple of times, and now I've got the pleasure of having you on my show. And look, this is really cool because we do sort of similar things. We work with different businesses on, uh, you know, you all build businesses. Why don't you all tell us what you do, opposed to me trying to tell everybody what you do. <laughs> Great idea. You want to tell them, Corey? Go right ahead. Okay. I, I think this is just always my, I'm the one that answers this question. Um, so we, SB Pace is focused exclusively on working with, you know, small businesses, usually 10 employees or less, though we have worked with um, companies that have more and we help them really what we say is launch, operate, and grow. So we're really focused on entrepreneurs who are starting their first business and helping them build a solid foundation so they are poised for long-term growth and success. We help people with operational efficiencies. And um, we also have a deep background in mergers and acquisitions. So helping business owners with exit strategies when they're ready to leave the business is one of the key things that we do as well. And one of the really neat things that we have done is we have built in a very short period of time, a really just absolutely amazing network of other business owners who do complimentary services to us that we do. And so we can offer any of our clients like this full package of services that they may need and they never have to go anyplace else. And we're really transparent about our pricing and we do everything we can to give them the lowest cost options so that they can afford to improve their business because so many times small business owners are just priced out of the market for making improvements. You know, that's interesting because I, I often wonder, actually, I, I do wonder, like, what is typically if you've got somebody that maybe they have an idea or they have a vision of what they want to start? 
well, let's just say it's ice cream shop. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, what is the first question that you guys get when you start working with someone? When they are when when there's an idea and they need to move that idea from concept to completion, what do you guys do? What is that question typically? Do I need a business plan? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? Well, not necessarily that specific question, but um, they want to know the, the exciting part about starting a business is doing all the fun ideation, the, you know, marketing, just planning, looking at the future growth, talking about how many people are going to be in working for you in, you know, five years, 10 years. But, um, you know, they always ask, where do we start? And then we disappoint them with, uh, well, we got to build your foundation first. Um, you know, and that's the answer they don't want to hear because it's the, we got to learn who you are, what you are, why you're doing what you're doing and how that, how your business is going to be built off of what that foundation is like understanding your culture, understanding uh, how you're going to interact with your employees, what you're going to expect out of your employees, like that type of stuff. Um, and so I think that's the, the first thing that everybody wants to jump into is like, how can I sell something? And we're like, whoa, back it up. We always, um, uh, we started noticing after, I don't know, probably eight or nine months of being in business when we were helping people who were either getting ready to launch a business or were somewhere, you know, in the process where they'd started it, but they weren't quite complete with it. Um, Frequently, in fact, never not amazed at what people had decided to focus on first. It's so random and so weird. And I think, you know, people tend to go with what they're comfortable with and where, they feel it's going to offer the biggest bang for their buck, right? So not at all uncommon to see somebody who is just starting a business and they're like, well, you know, I've got like my social media um, pages built and I, you know, I, I have a marketing planner, I've got a sales strategy and we're like, well, what, what are you selling? Well, I don't know yet. I haven't figured that out. But that it is not uncommon to, to see where they've just started in what we would consider to be the strangest places but it's just something that's really comfortable to them. And then we got to kind of backfill all the other stuff in there for them. That's interesting because it's, it, it's a lot like some of the companies that I work with, with their sales teams, they sell what they're most comfortable with, which is never the most expensive thing, or it's never um, the higher ticket item. And I'm not suggesting that they should sell everybody the most expensive thing, but when that that's the solution, that's what you need to sell. And so what they do is because they're not comfortable with the price point of that item, they just sell what they sell all the time and it keeps the company stuck. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And it's interesting because, you know, there's a lot of psychology behind it's easier to sell higher price items than it is lower priced ones. So they're, I think if people realized that at least in our experience, if they put more effort into those higher price things, not only would their job be job be easier, but they would sell more stuff. They would. You're right. And, you know, it's interesting because, look, I mean, you both have hired expensive coaches. I've hired expensive coaches. And I don't know if you all have ever hired a, a, a really, really inexpensive coach, but... I mean, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. You get what you pay for. And that goes, that's across the fucking board. Doesn't matter if it's a vehicle, a coat, or a purse. It doesn't fucking matter. If you pay more for it, there's a higher value in your own mind. 
Mm-hmm. And it, we actually wrote a blog not too long ago about that, where it's just kind of uh, analyzing that because we talked about it on a, on one of our previous podcasts with a different guest, and and we we also wrote a blog about it because you have that perceived value. If this is more expensive, then it's a higher value, and that's not always the case. So it, it's tricky because you have to if you're going to push that higher value item, whatever it is, it's going to you need to make sure that you can back it up because then that's just going to look terrible. But then on the flip side, if you're not charging enough, people aren't going to trust whether or not that they're, what they're getting is worth, you know, what you say it is. It's too good to be true. So they don't want to buy it. So a lot of psychology in there. So much psychology. And, and, you know, it, if you, if you gave me, if you showed me this, this happened the other day. So my wife showed me five pair of jeans. All right. They're not jeans that I would typically wear. In fact, I'll just tell you, they're skinny Are jeans. they skinny jeans? They're some fucking skinny jeans. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, uh, and to her defense, like, I, actually, I like them, believe it or not. I really do like them a lot. And she showed me five pair. And, and she was sitting there watching me, and I knew what she was thinking. And I had zero scope of how much these any of these jeans cost, because I've never looked at them buying a pair of skinny jeans and so but by default i always just i would say 9.5 times out of 10 i choose the most expensive one and i don't know why that is but i don't i don't know why that is so i don't know if it's sort of kind of to the point that we're making or maybe i'm just maybe i'm just timing could be both (laughs) i i I really do want to ask Corey, the chances of him ever wearing this. <laughs> absolutely not. You can barely get him to wear jeans. Uh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. He wears shorts every day of the year. So the thought of him, and I think he refers to jeans as leg prison, pants as leg prison. They're long shorts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You would die in these damn things. But believe it or not, Corey, I swear to God, like, it, it does, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why, but I'm cooler in. The skinny jeans that I am in my normal jeans. You're what? Not like cool guy. I'm cooler, like hot, heat, and cool. Like I'm, I, I'm just, I, I, I can maybe they vent better, which makes no sense because it feels like they're glued to my damn legs. Are you wearing skinny jeans right now? I don't <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Listen, let me tell you something. I, this is so funny. She, my wife asked me. She said. So how long have you been wearing the this was before I jumped jump ship? She said, How long have you been wearing that brand jeans? I said, Oh, I don't know. Probably 10 years. She was like, hmm. Okay. And I said, Well, wait a minute, let me think about that. It's been 20 fucking years that I've been wearing the same brand jeans. That's brand loyalty, man. <laughs> it's bizarre. I see nothing wrong with that. You found something that works, stick with it. So now you switch to skinny jeans, though, right? I have switched to skinny jeans, and they do. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Look, it was a hard switch. She had to trick me into the skinny jeans. Well, either she's really clever or you're not that hard to trick. Yes. She bought, well, what she did is she went and bought the most expensive pair she could find. And she was like, if there's a chance, 
that's the only chance I have. And she was right. So it worked. I guess the good news is your wife thinks you look, look good in skinny jeans. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been trying to get you to wear them. She, yes, she does. <laughs> so I want to... All right. So one of the questions that I want you guys to talk about, because this has been a really big deal, I think, for you all in your business. And that was... Um, and, and, and if you can't talk about it due to client confidentiality, then you don't have to, but I know they posted about it on Facebook, so I imagine it's probably okay. Um, but you guys just helped uh, a couple um, sell their business in a pretty quick amount of time, right? And they didn't really know how to sell it, or did they? Obviously not if they wouldn't have hired you, right? So it was an interesting situation. They, they approached us because they wanted to sell. And so okay. we have a background in, uh, in mergers and acquisitions. And uh, so we, they brought us on to help them build out the exit strategy. And so our approach to that is building out everything that the business needs in order to be more attractive to a potential buyer, uh, making sure that they've got all of their ducks in a row. So the exit's as easy as possible. Like all of those things that you would go, that you would need in order to just kind of have like a nice clean exit and you can get out. So that's how, what they brought us on for. And we started working on that. And then they uh, very quickly into our engagement, they got an offer from a company. So we shifted from trying to get them set up to, oh shit, we have to like now walk them through everything. So that turned into we were uh, got into the negotiations like the agreement the purchase agreement negotiations the LOI the um, you know helping them understand what's going on within their business and it so it was accelerated for sure <laughs> um, in terms of uh, instead of like doing it the proper way which we we like to do which takes weeks and weeks um, and just turn it around into oh we got to get this done real quick yeah it was an interesting situation This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Um. Because and it it is um it, it the deal is closed they're done so um, we can definitely talk about it um, the client's name uh, Monroe he um, him and his wife didn't have they really didn't even know if they could negotiate on the LOI and um, honestly in in my opinion that's really aside from knowing what to ask for from a what that due diligence period looks like and like the setting up the timelines. The financial piece of it, um, Corey was like the absolute hero in that story where I think we ended up getting, was it like 20% more money? Because uh, 20 or 25% more money? It was like straight over um, 12.5%. Oh, okay. 12.5%. I'm not a liar. I'm just forgetful. Um, and we like, but it was a significant amount of money for them and life-changing. And they would not have even known that they could ask for more money so we just countered right in the loi made updates into the loi and um when they came back with when when the um 
acquirer came back, they, they were good with the money. They didn't even, they didn't, they didn't question it. And so of course, Monroe's first question was, should we have asked for more? And I'm like, I think we just need to work with the possibility that we asked for the exact right amount, right? Like it's, you can't go back and ask for more. So let's just work with what we have, but they were really excited. It was a very fast close. We put them in contact with um, Rocco, the um, Rocco Coza attorney. And so Rocco was working on the deal as well and really gave them a lot of guidance. And then we helped them through the due diligence period as well, um, getting them all the, uh, working on all the documentation that they needed to get over to the buyer. So it was a fast transaction. They were so happy to um, have gotten that offer and to be, be done. They're actually um, leaving Hawaii and moving to Idaho. And so they're pretty excited about that big change that's coming because they essentially gave themselves even more money by leaving the very expensive state of Hawaii and moving to someplace that where the lower cost of living. But it was nice to see that big win for them. I felt, um, I felt that felt really good. You know, it was nice that it was, we, 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 when it got to this point, we really didn't do that much that the, the company, the acquiring company was very motivated to buy. So for, for them, it was um, a pretty quick transition. Uh, and so for us, after we got through the initial negotiations and all that, it was just making sure that Monroe was set up because he was going to stay on in kind of a consulting role. So it's like, just make sure you're covered this, make sure you've had this discussion, make sure you get this in writing, that type of stuff. Um, but for the most part, I mean, the deal went, it went quickly, which was surprising. And that was one of our main concerns was how aggressive their schedule was, but they stuck with it and, you know, it, it closed. So, yeah, I know even when Rocco first saw it, he was like, this is too fast, but they did it. They, that, that company was very motivated to get it done. And, um, one of the things that we did help them with was they had so many questions between, when the, um, once the LOI came back and they, everyone signed the LOI and, and before, after that, you know, official, like the, the, the official agreement came through. Right. And then you, it's probably about 14 days before close happens during that period, they had a ton of questions and they just, they weren't getting the answers that they wanted. And so we kind of helped them navigate how to get those answers so that they could understand because they were extremely concerned about their employees because it's like a family form, right? It's a small business. They've known everybody. Everybody's worked for them for a long time and they wanted to make sure they were protected. And so they just really wanted to know what was going on there. And so we helped them kind of navigate through that as well. So I'm curious, you know, what happens? I bet a lot of companies that sell go through that similar breakup feeling, divorce feeling from their, let's just call them their second family, their work family. How much does that play a part in the negotiations? How much does that play a part in the decision-making and, and, and the intelligence of the decision-making? Well, I will say this. The number one question that people ask when it comes to exiting is how much money can I get? The number two question without fail, and it's not even close, is what's going to happen to my employees? It's a very emotional decision for most people. Unless you are a serial business builder and seller, chances are most people are never going to sell a business. And if you do sell a business, you're probably only doing it once. And so it's it's hard to not be emotional. I would, I, I kind of make, it's very similar to, have you ever sold a house? Believe it or not, I've never sold a house or a car. Uh, 
never worked on a car a lot. I mean, it's like a sale. Like that. So have you, have you ever been a homeowner and you sold it because you were buying something else? Nope. Still live in the first house. Okay. Right so I will tell you this, when I sold my house, I was, I, I was flip shit and pissed at some of the offers I was getting because I was, it's so emotional. Like I built that house, right? And I loved that house. And I thought, how come you don't value it the same way I do? But they didn't have an emotional attachment to it. It was a financial transaction for them. It was an emotional transaction for me. That's the way selling a business is for most small business owners. It's an emotional transaction. And so really that's part of the work that Corey and I were setting up to do with them beforehand was get them set up, help make sure like, as, as weird as it sounds, titles really matter for employees when you're going through an acquisition and you want them to have lower titles, not higher, lower titles, less important titles, because then they're less likely to be let go. You, you don't need 25 VPs and managers and senior managers, but you need a lot of doers. You need the players on the field. And that's what we try and help people do is like structure your organization like this so that it's, so your employees are more likely to, to be able to make the decision if they want to stay or go versus someone else making it for them. And uh, the other thing is having those, like the well-documented processes, job descriptions, roles, responsibilities, all of that. A lot of people feel like if they have all of that written down or if it's all in a manual or whatever, that they're easily replaceable. And they are to a degree, but for the most part, and especially with the labor situation as it is right now, nobody is going to get rid of a valuable employee. If they know, like, even if that job that you're doing right now is going to, you know, going to be absorbed into somebody else's department or something, they will find something for you to do if you are a good employee. And so that's just the, the thing that you, the, the conversation that you have to have with the, that owner or the person who's selling is that you just want to make sure that you're setting your team up for success so that even if they happen to be let go, they still have, uh, you know, a decent resume. They've got a skill set. They've got something that they can sell. They can market themselves. And we have to prep the people for the initial, you know, that they might have to have that hard conversation of, look, we're selling in three months and you're probably not going to have a job. Um, but you can fight for that in the negotiations in terms of making sure that there's a decent severance package um, or that they're offered the opportunity to interview for other roles or, or whatever it is. There's a lot of things that you can include into the that purchase agreement um, that gives some protection to the employees. But I mean, there's no guarantees once once you've sold your business, it's out of your hands. So do you find that, so obviously by contract, they agree to, let's just say it's to give a severance package to uh, the employees that are, that should be exiting or they want to exit or whatever the case may be. Is there contract? I mean, obviously that's in the, the agreement, the contract. How often do you see that? not followed through and, and what happens if it doesn't get followed through that, what i mean by that is so if i'm the owner and i sell it and let's just say i don't then don't give a shit about the company and i'm off in hawaii doing my thing and my business is in raleigh north carolina and what happens in that scenario uh or does anything happen do the employees have rights at all not really um typically it once you've sold, you you really don't have any say in anything anymore. And that's the hardest part for business owners is knowing they don't have any control. There's no decision that they, they can certainly provide input because the really the key to having an acquisition be successful is for the current owner 
the current leader, CEO, whatever, to stay on and stay in place for six to 12 months, depending on the complexity of the business. The less, the shorter the duration be um, in front of that six months. So if they only say three months or 30 days or whatever, the less likely that acquisition is going to reach revenue recognition. So they're probably not going to hit the goals that they had set out for when they acquired the company, because they really need the knowledge and experience of that person. But what happens to the team members or how that business is run and it might be running to the ground, you have no say over it whatsoever. None. Yeah. And you definitely, it's it, good to go back to like Julie's house analogy. It's like you're selling your house, but you're also selling everything inside of it, but you have to live there for another six months. So as like <laughs> the new tenants are going in, the new owners going in and they're not using a coaster on your coffee table. It's like, you can't say anything about it. Like you just have to watch them do these yeah. things and, and just hope that you can continue to get paid and, you know, everything kind of works out for everybody involved. That's a great analogy. And I will tell you that the piece of the process when the deal closes and you're starting to do that integration of the acquisition, that is the piece that made me fall in love with mergers and acquisitions because it is, it's the hardest time of an employee's career, right? You work for a company, it gets sold. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. You are nervous. You don't know what they're like as an employer. You don't know if the benefits are better or worse. You don't know if you're going to like your new manager. You don't know anything. You don't even know if you're going to have the same job, let alone have a job at all. It's, it's just filled with anxiety and just change for the employees. And it's that part that when you're working on a team and you're doing that integration, that you get to help those people through that transition. And, and that's the team that Corey and I were on for years at a, at a former company and helping people through, the trans through that transition. And it's really hard, but it's really rewarding when you do it right. How often do you guys run up against, because as you said, you know, you said, I had a really hard time selling my house because it was my house. And maybe you built the house or maybe you had it built, whatever. I think that's interesting because a lot of people, I think, evaluate their house, car, business at a much higher rate because it's theirs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 When I sold my first house, I lost $75,000 on it. Yeah, oh, <laughs> right. That's that's not even close to the face I made. But I, you know, at the end of the day, you have to make some decisions on um, it, it, literally this perfect situation just happened to me this past weekend. I was flying back from Seattle, right? And I get on, I, I check a bag, go through security and go get us, get water in a store and then get to the gate and board the plane. All of it with the same mask on, right? You know, I'm in an airport, I gotta wear a mask. And I get on the plane and I'm sitting in first class and people are boarding and all of a sudden the flight attendant gets a phone call and it's coming from the gate. And she, all I hear her say is the passenger in 2D. Okay, she hangs up the phone. So I, I'm 2D, so I'm like, what's up? I look up, what's up? She's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be so loud. I didn't mean to play, put your business all over the place. I'm like. I don't even know what my business is. And she walks into the galley, grabs a face mask and brings it to me and says, and there's a guy sitting next to me who I don't know. And she says, you are endangering the lives and safety of every person on this plane with that mask on. You need to change your mask now or get off the flight. And I was like, okay. So I opened the mask she gave me and I swapped them out. 
And the guy next to me was more appalled than I was. And I, and um, she was still standing there and he's starting to make a big deal about it. And I said, the reality is I need to decide what I want more right now. Do I want to be right? Or do I want to get home? I'm like, I want to get the fuck home. So I will wear this mask that they, that they want me to wear. And I will not say a word about it. And she told me that I was the first person she ever made swap out a mask who didn't complain. And I just, I was tired. I've been gone for 10 days. I was ready to get home. I didn't care. Right. And that's the same when you're like selling your house or selling a business, you, you either want to sell it or you want the money and you need to figure out which one it is that you want if they're not aligned. And then you got to make a decision from there. You can't, if you can't have both, which one do you want more? I would have lost my shit. Oh, I think most, I would have lost my shit too if I, but I had already had one flight canceled and I just, I was tired. I wanted to get home. I didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I get that because, you know, I've traveled a bunch throughout this and you know, my feelings on the mask. I hate them. I think they're stupid. Um, and, but, but at the same time, if, you know, if you decide you want to wear one, I think that you're right. Just like it's my right to not wear one. Yeah. Um, except for a plane, of course. Um, and, and you're right. I had to ask myself the same question. Do I want to be kicked off the plane and potentially bored, uh, banned for the rest of my life? Or do I just want to fucking just do what they say? And that's, you know, I, yeah, so I had to make the same decision, but I, hate, I hate that level of compliance, but we don't have a lot of options. If you want to get someplace via an airplane, I did think for a second, could I rent a car and drive home? And when would I get there? <laughs> I did think about that. Yes. Well, you know, it's just, yeah, uh, it, it is what it is. So um, just out of curiosity, is there a particular uh, niche that you all work in in particular? Is there a, I, I don't know, I don't know if favorite's the right word, but I know for me, whenever I get in to certain companies, everything seems to flow really, really well. And in some companies, they, you know, it may not flow as well. Um, and it may be the industry, it may be the people, I don't know what it is, but is there an industry or a business that you guys absolutely love to work in? I don't really have a preference. I don't know if you do. I don't. I know that between the two of us, um, Corey's way more comfortable working in businesses that are product-based and I'm more comfortable working in businesses that are service-based. And so that balances out really, really well for our clients because regardless of their product or service, they're going to get somebody who's comfortable and, and it feels really good about working in them. Um, but I, I find product-based businesses to be more challenging, which, you know, sometimes I love a good challenge, but other times I'm like, you say the word pre-sale to me and I, I, I want to get up and leave. <laughs> like, Stop it. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's like a bad word now in our company. Uh, you, can, you can curse all you want, but don't you dare say pre-sale. Um, and it's uh, that's one of those things for for especially the startups and the smaller businesses is they just see any sort of income as uh, they're like, oh, I just need to start bringing some money in the door. And like talking to some of them, it's yeah, you're you could make an extra five grand like two weeks ahead of when you would normally start selling, but is that really going to make or break anything? But it's going to be a huge headache for you, a huge pain, not to mention you're not ready. You're, you know, that you have a, a chance at failing at, at uh, disappointing your customers, making a bad name for yourself, just getting a bad taste. And so, yeah, that's, 
that's that. But as for uh, like industries, yeah, I like the product-based industries because I, I don't know, for me, it just makes more sense to sell something that you can see and touch and hold. And, and the, the concept of consulting, which is weird because that's what we do is still foreign to me. I'm like, what am I getting paid for? I still don't understand this. <laughs> let me, let me come to your house and build something for you. You know, I, I will say that there is a significant difference. Um, and I don't know if you work with many people who are just starting a business, Corey, but there's a significant difference between working with a client who's launching a new business and a client who wants to go from working into on their business. And those clients that are launching a new business, man, they don't miss deadlines. They're they don't, they're they're so excited to get going and get selling that literally they anything we tell them to do by the time we meet again, it will be done. There are no questions. We've never had a situation where they didn't do it. And it's about a maybe 60, 40 split on existing businesses. If they're going to get it done with 60% of the time, it's not done and 40% it is. And that might be being generous. It's just tougher for them to find the time and the bandwidth to do the things that they need to do to make that transition. And they've already got income coming in. So they're yeah. not as motivated versus I've got zero income and I need to get my doors open. Yeah. That makes sense. And plus, I guess, you know, when it's when you're new, when you're just starting a business, as we talked about at the very first of this podcast, it's exciting. It's it's new, it's fun, it's and then it gets old. It's or or it gets older rather. And it's you're right. It does. It absolutely. And there's so many different nuances that come into a business. Yeah, well, I guess starting a business, there's a lot of them, but there's also a lot of nuances in the middle. And as you're, even as you start to make money, you get hit with whatever, you know, and I know, you know, I know funnels are not my thing. They're not your thing. Um, In fact, I don't know if I even care to know about funnels because I, I just, it, it drives me insane. Um, but that, that's a complexity that I, I just, that I, I, I've just worked it out with, um, with a friend of ours. And, and so I, I just, so, so it's stuff like that, that I, I don't want to know about it. I don't, I'd rather just pay somebody else to do it. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, we're big proponents of paying experts to do something if it's not in your wheelhouse or if it just makes more sense from a you know cost benefit analysis to have someone else do it. We just decided last week or the week before to pay somebody to create and manage our paid ads for us because we're like, I, I don't have the bandwidth to to really excel at it. And this guy's not even on social media, so he can't do paid ads on social media. And so we just, you know, we have somebody in our network who's really, really good at it. That's all they do. And it's not a significant cost to, to have someone else do it. So it was so easy. And I'm like, God, why weren't we doing this all along? It just made so much sense. And they made it really easy for us. So if you can find somebody to do it for you where that's their area of expertise, that's the way to do it. Yeah, because it saves you so much time, stress, worry, trying to do, figure shit out that ultimately you're just not that great at. And it's okay that, that we're not all great at everything. But I know for me, when I started this podcast, it's a great example. Like I spent two weeks, like 18, 19 hours a day trying to figure out how to do this thing, how to put it together, how to edit it, how to all this shit you got to do. When I could have just hired somebody and probably had it done in, you know, 
a day. So do you hire somebody now or do you do it yourself? Um, I do have, I have showed up people that write my show notes and then I do have somebody that puts together the audio. So yeah, two separate people, but yeah, we sure do. It, that's just a, a, a hard discussion or, or a, a hard argument to have with somebody, especially with yourself when you're looking at how you can, I don't have to spend a hundred dollars uh, for whatever this this thing is because I can do it myself, but what's your time worth? And then, you know, there are people, there's a reason people specialize. It's a reason why we're, you know, we've grown as a civilization just in general is that I don't have to go and get water and kill the food and cook it. And all that's all taken care of. We have no problem paying people to like bring electricity to our house. You know, why not pay somebody to do something for your business so that you can focus on what you're good at. Right. And, and, you know, and just being intentional with that time, it's one thing if you're paying somebody to do it just so you can, well, I guess if you have the money and the time and you just want to dick off, I suppose that's your choice. But, um, you know, for me, if I'm paying somebody to do something, I want to make sure that I'm being productive during that time opposed to, you know, surfing on fucking TikTok for two hours, right? I mean, <laughs> that it, it just- your, That could be good for your business though. <laughs> it could be, it could be. Um, but at the end of the day, that's, so when, whenever I hire somebody to do something, that's the reason. Either one, I don't know how to do it and don't want to do it. And two, or, or maybe three, um, they're just more efficient at it. And I think that's why people hire you all for the exit strategy and, and all the other things that you all do. So what, is, what do you find when people are exiting their business? What do you find to be their biggest challenge? Other, let's, let's remove the one we've already talked about, which is, uh, the emotion of selling that business. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll go first. I'll see if Corey's is different, but I, for me personally, I think it's that they're, they don't realize the, if they just did a little bit of work up front that they could really multiply the amount of money that they're going to get. Right. So the things in their company that are worth money are usually not the things they're thinking about. Right. So if you can set up your processes and um, have uh, understand all of your technology and, and how it's being used and eliminate like the, the cost of overrun, I think that is the um, what is that noise? Okay. <laughs> Oh, vibrating like a motherfucker. I was like, am I like being beeped off the stage? Yeah. <laughs> the, the red light. <laughs> yeah, right. I felt like I was on the Oscars for a minute and it was like the curtain was closing. Um, yeah. So it's it's that preparation of um in advance so that they can get the most money possible for the business. They don't realize the importance of it. Uh, Along the same line, and I, I think that, I mean, for a lot of business owners, and I've been this way when I was a, a business owner prior to this and, and managing people and all that is you feel guilty when you're not doing work. So you end up getting involved in everything and being able to unwind and untangle yourself from the business is the hardest part for people because they find themselves that they're doing everything, not because they have to, but because they want to, or they feel guilty, or that's just the way it's always been. And the same thing with their staff or, you know, potential employees is that people are just holding things together because that's just what they've always done. And that's what you need to do to get the business, you know, to, to be successful. And, and that's great. But when it comes to exiting, like you should really, every, every owner, every manager should be working to like work themselves out of a job. 
because once you're once you're no longer like needed in the day-to-day functions of the business you can i mean you can fill in as necessary but you can work on building the business uh, to to be better or i mean for a lot of people i mean the the goal is to retire so you know it's, it's getting to that point where oh the business is running itself and i only have to be in here 10 hours a week three days a week cool i'm gonna do that and i'm gonna have a four-day weekend every week you know so i think that's that the the biggest surprise is when people like stop and they have to look at everything that they're doing. They're like, Oh, wow. I had no idea I was doing all of this work. <laughs> because what happened, what happened when you've got the owner and, and they are, a, a, you know, an important part of a bunch of different parts of the business. My guess is that makes the business less valuable if that person's not going to be there. Right. Well, that's part of the reason that they, you know, it makes more sense for the owner to stay on for a longer period of time, six to 12 months, because then they can transition all of that stuff off of the owner onto new people. And imagine if you had an owner who that like Corey just described and 30 days after the deal closed, they left. Imagine how many holes are in the business that they have to figure out how to fill that they don't even know are there. You're looking at us like we're really, really smart right now. That would be a disaster. Yes, it would. (laughs) And so have you, I, obviously that has happened at some point in your careers. Yep. Yep. I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times. And what's that phone call look like? Well, we, one of the um, acquisitions that I um, worked on, um, this is actually one of Corey's favorite stories to tell because he offered up helping to work for free and I declined. I said, I don't need you. <laughs> In my defense, it was before I knew him. So I was like, get out of my space. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I was much more polite about it than he says I was. But um, anyway, that particular acquisition, um, the they let the owner, the previous owner go on day one and brought in an expert, an industry expert that was from the acquiring company to run the company. And uh, he was a little bit of a disaster in himself. And um, they ended up having to let him go about 90 days into the transition. And so we didn't have a leader at all. There was nobody there. Um, But on this particular acquisition, they actually, we had a conversation about suing the former owner because um, their financials were such a mess. And we found out how much they were lying about how much money they were actually making. I hesitate to ask this because it seemed like a stupid question, but that seems illegal. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, not a stupid question. Um, definitely not above board, um, but one could make the argument, and um, I, I bet Corey could make this argument very, very well. That is the responsibility. That's why due diligence happens. And the fact that they didn't uncover that during due diligence... I mean, I don't know a judge that would have sided with. You signed the agreement. Yeah, you signed the definitive agreement, so you're kind of. It's done, right? But you, their their financials were a mess. It took us, it took us like 18 months to unravel them, right? And um, we had another acquisition that we actually worked on together, where after we got done with the integration and everything was switched over, God, how much were we off by? It was like 1.5 million. It was like 1.5 million dollars, and in that instance, the CFO did lose his job because he's the one who signed off on it. He said, "Yep, everything looks good." And then when everything, you know, all the dust settled and everything, they realized, 
that it was off and it wasn't even his fault. It was the, it, it was an issue with their, the previous um, the ERP, the computer system that they had. And we're fairly certain that the IT guy uh, retired to, uh, well, we know that he retired to his boat. His um, sailboat. Yeah, yes. his sailboat. <laughs> and we're pretty we're, sure he took some money with him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But he was out of the country at that point. Yeah, so. but $1.5 million off. And I can remember the first time we heard the number, right? It was like maybe two days after we had finished um, the integration and we're like the conversion, a system conversion. We're like, wait, what? And, you know, there, but there was just some really shady things happening there. People walking out of the warehouse with cases of product that, you know, and nobody questioning it and, it was just, it was a mess. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about like, cause it's a multi-million dollar company and the error, like the degree, like the allowable like error that we had, was like a couple thousand dollars. Cause when, you know, after you're converting everything and rounding up and down and all of that, you're going to, you're going to have a discrepancy there. And you've, you know, you, so if it's a couple thousand dollars, you're like, okay, that's rounding error. We'll write that off. But yeah, you can't do that for 1.5 million. I just asked recently, cause we're still friends with, uh, one of the guys that we worked with on that acquisition and we're like, Hey, did they, did they ever find that money? He's like, Nope. <laughs> Gone. Ooh, that's a hard pill to swallow right there. Sure. Is. And I think, and honestly, I think that's why a lot of owners don't give the reins to people underneath them as much as they could in fear of something like that happening. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to have, and that all comes down to get ready for it, Corey. Systems and processes. Mm-hmm. Always <laughs> does. Yeah, because if you have systems and processes in place, shit's gonna go like it's supposed to go. It's just, yeah. it's just the way it is. And if you don't have systems and processes in place, things are probably gonna go sideways. Well, and if things break, it's easier to pinpoint what's broken. Yeah, a hundred percent. And plus, it's. It, I just talked about this last night actually um we were talking about you know it's it, at the end of the day if if especially if you have a business that you, that, that you're going to duplicate right if you've got a, a, a store here and then you open another store here if you don't have those things in place uh how do you expect your second location to run like well, I guess it's going to run like your first one if you don't have them in place, because if you don't have them in place for the second one, you probably don't have them in place for the first one. You know, it's funny that you say that, Corey, because we, um, right now, um, Corey's getting ready to open a restaurant, right? And um, it's just the first of what he plans to be numerous restaurants, building a little empire, not little, building an empire. And um, he quickly recognized like, yeah, I could build this first one in my sleep and really take shortcuts and not really need to do a lot of things. And I could be really successful, but I don't want just one. I want to have an empire. And so I need to build this as if I'm going to build, you know, 50 or a hundred and have all the systems and processes in place and make sure everything is repeatable so that it's just becomes, you know, instinctual going through it. So you're going to build one and you know you're going to build a second one you might as well do it right or just do it right the first time anyway yeah well there's that too yeah. that would be the argument right. we would make yeah. <laughs> well yeah. listen like this has been such a great conversation and, and i've actually learned several things today that i didn't know 
Um, if you could, since we do have to wrap up, um, could you let everybody know where they can find you? Of course, all that stuff will be in the show notes. I like to ask anyway, just so you can verbally each other. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is sbpace.com and it's Pace like a Pace car. Um, uh, we are on Instagram at sbpace and we have a Facebook page, sbpace. Um, we're also on LinkedIn and then I am on Clubhouse, Julie Troxler. Um, those are the best ways. And uh, can we tell your listeners about our book? I was about to say that and the time bomb thing. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. so, um, we have um, a best-selling book on Amazon. It is called Seriously Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. I wish we would have made the title longer, but we, we didn't. Uh, it has a um, digital workbook, and it's really all about building a very solid foundation for your business. Um, and that's on Amazon. And then we also have a course because what we have learned since starting SB Pace is the number one thing that entrepreneurs struggle with is time management. And that course is actually on sale for the entire month of June. It is $30 off. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. $30 off. And you can find that on sbpace.com as well. Great. Well, um, do they need a coupon code or anything to get that 30% off? It's $30 and no, we just, we're just offering a deal. Perfect. Yep. All right. Well, listen, guys, I really appreciate you coming on today and we'll let you know when it airs. All right, great. Awesome. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. The Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose. And I know it. The person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn, apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two, one, let's go. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.